ready to hear from your word. It's your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again. Um, I, uh, thank you. So it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if you don't know, I'd, I'd ask for prayer a few weeks back. I haven't been up on stage here for a few weeks, but I've been dealing with what ended up being chronic laryngitis, which is something I'm actually still working through. I'm getting speech therapy, learning how to speak properly after 25 years of over-projecting, basically being too loud, talking too much, and not talking the right way. Uh, and so <laughs> I'm trying to sort of learn a new way, and it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, we are here in this series called God Speaks, and, uh, and I don't. <laughs> So it's a good lesson. Uh, God, God should speak, though, more, more than me. But excited to be able to get into what we have for today, which is in the book of Haggai, uh, which I'm sure you all have memorized and are looking forward to everything we're going to talk about. But it is an amazing book. If you have the Bibles on the back of the seat in front of you there, it's on page 668, just to help you get there a little faster. They're not the easiest turn tos. Uh, but uh, this this. This little book has an incredible message for us as we focus in on what does this look like to consider our ways. And with this book, like many others, there's, there's kind of a story behind the story. A lot of the great movies, especially these sort of sci-fi fantasy nerd movies that I like, you know, it's like 400 years before the Elvish kingdom reigned and then the others moved in. And <laughs> But you've got just this whole thing where they tell you this, this big backstory to lead to what this current story is. And we have that here. And this, in this book is back to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra is giving us the story that's happening kind of behind or, or leading into this prophecy. And what you have happening is you've got the people of, of Israel. They're this little country kind of amongst these regional superpowers. And you've got this Assyrian Empire comes in and takes out the north. You've got the uh, Babylonian Empire that comes in and takes out the south. And they're now like, ruling this whole region. And they've, they've taken, actually, the people from Israel and Judah, Jerusalem, away into exile. So they're not living in the land anymore. They're in exile. And then comes the Persian Empire. And they come and just take over everybody. All right? And now what happens is the king of Persia says all right, I'll let you go back. I'll let you go back. About 50,000 Jews then start to return into the land. And over a couple years, they even start to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. So they, they're working on it. They get the foundation essentially done in this time. And then there's these sort of local enemies of, of Jerusalem, the Samaritans. And that's you, you kind of hear about not great relationships between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans go... And they convince the king of Persia to make them stop working on the temple, all right? And so they do. They stop. And they stop for 16 years, and they're not working on starting again. And some other stuff's kind of happening in that time that will lead into, but that's where in the book of Ezra, actually Ezra 5.1, we see the name of our, of our prophet here, Haggai. Okay, you see him here. When the prophets... Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. And so it kind of leads us into, in that story of, of it in Ezra, into our book here of Haggai. And so what I always like kind of wonder is like, what's the prophecy? Okay, so 
So what is it that he has to say to them? And he's got a couple messages for them. And the first, I think the main message is this. Consider your ways. He says, consider your ways four times in this book. Consider what you've done a couple times, and then a couple times, consider what you're going to do. Now, in my Bible, it's like a page and a half, right? This book of Haggai, it's like a page and a half, and you've got this one message in there four times to consider your ways. So consider what? What are they supposed to be considering? Now, a lot of this stuff, you've got, you've got an outline in your bulletin there. It gives you a little more detail than we're even able to give here. But there's, there's some things that they're to consider. Because what's going on is this whole thing where they stopped working on the temple. Okay? They stopped working on uh, God's house. They've done it for a couple years. But then they just they stop when the king tells them to. Now, it sort of makes sense that when the king of Persia tells you to stop, you stop. But the deal is, is it goes on for 16 years without them trying to start again. Now, let's, let's actually read a little bit of this, this book, Haggai, uh, 1, 1 through 5. All right, so it says, In the second year of Darius, that's the king of Persia, the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah, it says. And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of, of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. You see them even just saying, We're not doing it. So then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? This is wood-paneled houses. While this house lies desolate, the house of God he's referring to. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. You have, you've, you've stopped building God's house, but even worse than that, really what we think we have going on here is what you can read about in the book of Ezra in a little bit more detail is the people, they all contributed to rebuild the temple of God. Okay, so they all give their money to help rebuild the temple. And what they do with that money is they go to Tyre and they buy this wood, this beautiful cedar wood. Okay, and they bring it in and it's supposed to be the wood for the temple. Now, as then the work stops, what, what you see is then God says, you living in your wood paneled houses. And that what people think is really happening here is that these people of Jerusalem took the wood that was supposed to be, that was raised, money was raised for that to be in the temple of God, and they've now taken that wood and put it in their houses instead of the house of God. All right, so stealing from God to build themselves up. He says they've become so selfish in some of the verses following that God sends a drought upon them. Okay, so they have to consider their ways. They have gotten off track. They are no longer working on God's house. They're making themselves great. They're making them, you know, just their own stuff is what they're thinking about. So consider what? Consider our actions. Consider our selfishness. Consider how are we going along in the ways of God. Now, I was thinking about this whole thing with, with my voice and this 
speech therapy and you know I, I'm going this it's just it's almost embarrassing the kind of stuff they're having me do to try and learn to speak properly and um, they're, they're saying you aren't speaking right you need to learn how to talk now you've been talking too loud for so long now here's the thing I might have known I talked a little bit much but <laughs> but it, it was also this sense of like I didn't know that I wasn't speaking properly I didn't know and so I was hurting myself because I didn't know. And essentially, these like doctors and therapists are kind of like a prophet's voice. They're speaking into you of something that, that, that I didn't know that then I could hear from them and then correct that and to be able to get myself right, right, when it comes to my voice. And hopefully I can kind of learn a new way that works a little better and is also normal. <laughs> but, um, but with that, it's just like you think about that's what prophecy is supposed to do. It's supposed to reveal something that wasn't known, that then they can course correct and kind of bring that around to be able to be, okay, how can we then live according to God's ways and to be able to do that well? And it's, it's really helpful for us, that kind of message, when we receive it, right? That kind of message is helpful when we're willing to receive it from the word of God as we read, whether that's from a a brother or sister in the Lord that comes and brings something to us that we weren't aware of. It's helpful when we're willing to receive it. Because, you know, I want to be able to, I want to be able to talk to my kids and my wife, you know? I want to be able to speak to you as the church that I love. So I want to take in that message that they have for me. But what's the message that, that you need to hear today? What's the message that you need to consider when you think about your ways and what you're doing when it comes to your life. You know, there's, um, you think about this whole thing to consider. It's, it's kind of a big thought to consider, to set your whole heart and self and mind on examining the course your life has taken. Consider your ways. How am I living? There's this passage in Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20, where God says, to the people of Israel, he says to them, you are on the way to either life and prosperity or death and adversity. He says, choose life and walk in my ways, God says. Walk in my ways. God's ways are the ways towards life. And for them, it was the way towards life and prosperity and a, a turning away from death and adversity that God would have for them. And so they're to consider and, and we're to consider, like, how is my life you know, going? Where is my life heading? How am I considering what my actions have been? Because God says, my ways are for your best. My ways are for what will help you in your life. They will lead to life and they will lead to my name being known among the nations. That is what the heart of God was for. What are your ways doing? Where are your ways heading when it comes into your life? Jesus had some pretty good words for this, too, in this famous passage in Mark 10 where he says, Hey, look, the, the rulers of this world, the Gentile rulers of this world, they lord it over people with their authority. The way they exercise authority, they rule, they lord it over them. And Jesus says to them, But not so with you. But not so with you. The rest of the world might do this thing one way. I've called you to go another way. To be a servant, Jesus says. As you lead to his disciples, I've called you to be a servant. Consider your ways, not just in the way of the world, 
but in the way that I have called you. Consider your way before the curse of yesterday impacts you for eternity. Because God has said in Haggai as well that God has made a way to reverse the curse, which is an incredible thing. And, um, you know, I wanted to let you know that as I've been studying for this, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an awesome man, Doug Sorensen, who's a Bible teacher, one of our Sunday morning life groups, a deep studier of God's word. And he loves this book, and I met with him about it. <laughs> I was essentially like realizing, I'm going to say on this stage everything that Doug was telling me. And I thought, hey, and I'm having a struggle with my voice, too. Why don't we just have Doug come and say it all? So let's welcome Doug Sorensen <laughs> up here. There you go, Brad. Thanks, Doug. Well, Haggai is really my favorite book of the Old Testament. And my favorite part of my favorite book is the last couple of verses. And so... In order to understand the last couple of verses of Haggai, we've got to go back about 150 years. Because this last message is a message that God gave Haggai to share with Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judah. So here's Zerubbabel. This is his family tree. These are all the last kings of Judah. Zerubbabel was from the royal family. I want to start with his great-great-great-grandfather, Manasseh. Interesting, in the Bible, God gives a report card for each of the kings. And when he looked at Manasseh at the end of his life, he said, Manasseh was a horrible king. Uh, let me give you an idea. Manasseh, the Bible says, filled Jerusalem with the blood of innocent people that he had killed. He was into witchcraft and sorcery. In fact, he had the statue of the goddess of sexuality put up right in the middle of the temple. And then if that wasn't bad enough, the Bible says that he had some of his own children burned alive as sacrifices to one of the other gods that he served. No wonder God said, this guy is evil. His son Ammon took over after Manasseh died, and God says he was evil as well. In fact, it says that he multiplied the guilt of his father. Ammon dies. Josiah becomes king. He actually was a good one. And there's a whole other story that's great about how that happened. But Josiah dies and his son, Jehoiakim, becomes king. And God says he was horrible. Says that he went after the pattern of his fathers, not his father. After Jehoiakim dies, Jehoiachin, also known as Coniah, becomes king. And God says, he was horrible. To the extent that God finally sends the prophet Jeremiah to the throne room to let 
Jehoiachin know what God thinks? And so the prophet says, as I live, declares the Lord, even though Kaniah, that's another name for uh, Jeconiah, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off. Signet ring. This really isn't a signet ring. But a signet ring was probably the most valuable thing that a king had. This is what he would press in the wax on documents to make them binding. It was, in essence, his checkbook for the treasury. God says, if Kaniah were a valued signet ring on my right hand, I would take you off. But this is a violent word. Really, it could be translated, I would rip you off and, and throw you away. And then he says, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. The Babylonians are going to come. We're gonna, they're going to take you and your family into captivity. I'm through. And then he makes this statement. Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Now, Kaniah wasn't childless. He had seven sons. Here's what, he's, what the prophet is saying. Jeconiah, you will not prosper. But not only will you not prosper, none of your descendants will ever prosper. None of them will ever rule in Judah. You might as well write him down as childless. That curse was pronounced on that family tree. And that's what Zerubbabel lived under. He was the grandson of Jeconiah. And he was born under this curse, generational curse. Well, now we get to my favorite part of Haggai, the last couple of verses. They started rebuilding the temple. They're three months into the project when God gives Haggai a message for Zerubbabel. And it goes like this. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheetil, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. You catch what's going on here. 
using almost the exact same words that God, through Jeremiah, pronounced the curse. He says, I have chosen you, Zerubbabel. You are valuable. The word, I have chosen you, could be translated, I have put you on like a signet ring. The curse that he had pronounced three generations before was now reversed. The repentance, faith, and obedience on Zerubbabel's part has caused God to reverse the curse. The message here is we are not doomed to generational patterns of sin. Zerubbabel grew up in a dysfunctional family where each one just followed the parent before. God can and will reverse any curse, even one that he himself has pronounced. Now, how do you know, how do I know that the curse really was reversed? If you go with me to the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament, you run across another family tree. And it goes like this. To Jeconiah was born Sheetiel, and to Sheetiel, Zerubbabel, and to Zerubbabel was born, several generations later, Jesus, who is called Christ. God reversed the curse because Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. And he left me a treat, too, so hey. Um, but seriously, what I, I want you to understand is that we are not doomed to these generational cycles of sin. We, we all have some sort of experience when it comes to this, when it comes to our family line or what we've inherited. It feels sometimes like a, a curse that we can't escape. Right? It feels like these negative statements that have been spoken over you are what define who you are. And I want to tell you today that those do not in any way define who you are, that you can break that cycle of sin. We think, of course, I yell at my kids. My parents yelled at me. What else would I do? We think, of course, I drink too much. That's what I was taught by my family to do when things got more difficult. We think, of course, relationships get shattered and broken through divorce and betrayal. That's just what I was taught. That's what I experienced. So that's the life that I live out now. And whether that's from abuse or addiction or greedy sort of self-centeredness, that these things have been passed down to us. And we think that's just the cycle. I can't break out of that. I can't talk to my kids about anything real. No one ever talked to me 
about anything real, and we just think we're doomed then to just follow in these patterns and cycles of sin. But no, we see here that Jesus reverses the curse of these generational cycles of sin, and Jesus himself reversed the curse of sin as a whole for all of us. And so you can know as you sit here and you think, what is my story? What has been my pattern? What did I experience from, from my family? The curse that it seems of Kaniah that's upon my family that I feel myself sort of leaning into, continuing to pass on. And then for you to take that thing and to, to hold it in your mind and to say, I know that you, Jesus, can break the cycle of sin, the chains a bondage of this sin that you, Lord, can break this like you did miraculously in this line in a way that should never have been able to happen. How? How does this happen? I've got a couple things that I want us to think about being. I want you to think about being a spiritual mother or a spiritual father or spiritual grandfather or grandmother to another person in this church. Maybe it's a big brother or a big sister. But it's a way for you to consider how can you speak the truth of the grace of Jesus into that next person that you see that they are in that bondage to say, I will be in this kind of role no matter what you've experienced. I want you to experience the freedom, the freedom of grace. We, we, we live this out by listening, repenting, and obeying. What happens here in Haggai, what's so cool is that he speaks this prophecy, they hear it, they repent, and they start building. Okay, they just, they actually, the temple does get rebuilt. It's a beautiful story. The curse is reversed, and they, they go in this, this obedience of following God's ways. But the biggest thing that we have to recognize here is that as much as sometimes we might try to obey, first step is receiving the grace that Jesus has earned through, through suffering and hardship, right? That we receive that grace and then we live out that grace in our obedience, but know that it is the grace of Jesus that reverses the curse. Think about that ring for a second. For God to say to that Kaniah, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin, right? It's like all these names, one dude, okay? But for God to say to this person, I take you off and I get rid of you. I mean, that's brutal. But when God says, I've chosen you, I've put you on, this takes me to the story of the prodigal son. This son that had run away from his father and sin and taken his inheritance and just living this wild life of sin and he knows that he's done wrong and he, he, he's coming back to his father. And you know that whole story, he's got this thing where he's kind of practicing this speech that he's got for his dad that he's going to try and make up and try and, you know, try and apologize and look good. And as he's in the midst of practicing that speech, the father is running out to him as he sees him in the distance and the father takes a ring, it says. He takes a ring, and he puts it on his son's finger. I've chosen you. 
I've put you on. This curse that you thought you were under has been reversed by my love for you. And that's the love that God the Father has for you. And so the way to respond to this, the way to respond to this message of Haggai is simply to cry out to God. It's to cry out to God to say, I recognize where I am in sin. I, I recognize what's happening in my, my family line of the things that I've experienced that I'm leaning into doing myself that I know is wrong, that I know is not what's healthy, but is to say to God, I need you so much to come in and to heal this. And what's so beautiful is that we see that that's exactly what God does. Consider your ways, but to know that as you consider your ways, Jesus Christ has reversed the curse of sin on you forever. No matter what has happened in your ancestry, no matter what has happened that you are personally at fault for, he says, I will come in and my grace will cover that and I have a new way for you to live now. And I give you the power through my Holy Spirit to live it. So go and walk in my ways. Choose life this day. Choose life. Choose life. We have a chance to respond to that now. We have a chance to come to the stations where we remember what God has done, what Jesus did to, to earn that for us through his shed blood, through the giving of his body for us. We have a chance to come to the prayer points. We'll have folks available here to pray with you, to pray through this kind of stuff. If you've got generational patterns of sin and abuse and struggle, come, receive prayer to see God's healing as he breaks those chains. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you and we say, Lord Jesus, thank you for reversing the curse of sin forever. And Lord, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of each one here. That no one would leave this place today without coming to, to terms with the reality of the brokenness that's inside each of us. And Lord, may we find healing through your spirit today. Lord, healing through the truth of your word today. Healing through the grace that was displayed by your shed blood today, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.